Well, good morning, church. How we doing? I love to hear that, and I uh, love being here. I'm excited to be here. As, as Zach mentioned, uh, my name is Michael, if we haven't met, uh, but there's been a lot of changes, a lot of things going on here at Grace, uh, and all of them, we are just thankful that God's providing for us every step of the way, but as me and my wife, Amanda, we kind of make this transition to the Tiffin campus as our you know, church home. I know it's all the same church, different campuses, but as Tiffin kind of becomes the main location here. We are uh, um, looking forward to meeting those of you who I haven't connected with. And uh, so if you can, after the, ser- after the service, introduce yourself to me. Uh, and don't be offended when I don't remember your name next week, because <laughs> I'll be learning a lot of new names, especially today, but the next few weeks and, and months to come. So uh, I'm also excited as we continue our series in Luke 6. And to kind of give us a little direction of where we're going, uh, let me start with this. Don't raise your hands because I don't want any hands raised or fingers pointed, but how many of you have ever had enemies in your life, all right? People that just make life difficult, they're tough to love, maybe they even oppose you because of your faith, like for whatever reason, I'm sure all of us have had an enemy at one point, and if we don't or haven't, we probably will. Right? Uh, and I feel like even now with the internet and with social media, it's even easier to have enemies. Am I right? Like not only if, I'm not saying you go out there and pick a fight, but you're just minding your own business and people kind of make enemies of themselves and, uh, you know, just say something or whatever the case. I'll give you an example. All right. Uh, for young adult, we post sometimes on our Instagram just short little clips of like the sermon, if it's me or Ben or whoever spoke, and, you know, just to show, like, hey, here's kind of a little snippet of what we talked about tonight. And when we post things online, as you all know, it opens the door for any voice to be heard and any comment. And on those little sermon clips, we've had, man, enemies to say the least. We've had people, like, comment of just laughing emojis, laughing at us. People are asking, is this satire? Like, is this a joke or you know, is, is this real? Uh, people, Christians, or who claim to be Christians, they're attacking the, the video we posted saying, you don't know the gospel. Like, the true gospel needs to be, it's, uh, uh, okay, dude. Uh, have some examples for you, all right? This is our uh, former resident, Joel. He gave a sermon about, hey, we need prayer because we need God. And this guy commented, I'm seeking relief. Okay, great, we're here to help. Sure seems like you're describing my overactive bladder right now. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> I just, he's making fun of us, so I figured you'd get a kick out of it. All right, next one. Uh, this is a, a, just a short snippet of me saying, hey, we need to look to Jesus. And Michael Green comments, this guy is not born again. Yeah, right? Yes. <laughs> wow, like, you better believe I spent the next hour just searching through Michael Green's Facebook of like, is this guy even born again? Is he saved? I can't wait to see him in heaven. All right, next one. Uh, I'm just saying, hey, put your hope in God. And we have some people comment, only if you're crazy. Or this guy, a little more aggressively, a comforting lie, but worthless in reality. Drop the fairy tale, bull dookie. We blurted out because, you know, it's church. And uh, like, we're minding our own business saying, hey, here's, here's a little bit of sermon. Here's just kind of part of our night. And people find their opportunity 
to just oppose us, to out of nowhere say, no, this is wrong, this is stupid, this is, you know, it's all, whatever they're saying, enemies are going to find their way in our lives. Jesus in Luke 6 makes that point even stronger of not only did Jesus have enemies, and we're going to see how he interacted with them, but Jesus tells his disciples how to respond to their enemies. And it's a way that's different than our instinct, that we may want to treat them a certain way, but if we're going to follow Jesus, we got to realize things are, things are different of how he wants us to handle people, especially our enemies. And so to recap where we've been the past few weeks is uh, Jesus preparing for his public ministry around 30 years old. He, uh, we get this encounter with John the Baptist and Jesus. John the Baptist, his whole role was to prepare the way for Jesus. And John actually baptized Jesus and he recognized Jesus as the savior of the world, the one that's gonna save everyone from their sins. He's like, that's the guy. And so Jesus leaves that moment and actually goes out into the wilderness for over a month that he prays and he fasts and he spends time with God to prepare to launch his public ministry. And that's when he does. He actually goes home, right? That's usually kind of how it is, right? If you, you, no matter what, you can always go home. Not so much for Jesus. He goes and preaches in the synagogue, and he's basically telling them about his mission, who he is. He's like, I'm here to preach the good news. I'm going to proclaim liberty to the captives, and I'm going to set the oppressed free. Like, I'm that person. I'm here to start God's, or not start, continue God's work. And as you know, we talked about a few weeks ago, they didn't like that. So much so that they tried to kill Jesus. They wanted to throw him off a cliff, but that didn't happen. And so Jesus left home, Nazareth, and went to a place where he was a little more welcomed, a city called Capernaum. And that's where he was, do he was doing miracles, he was teaching, and he even started gathering his disciples. And we've talked about a few of those. But in chapter 6, we see this continue, but Jesus has some run-ins with his own enemies. The major uh, opponent or enemy in the Gospels of Jesus was actually a group called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, just religious leaders, that they wanted to obey God more than anything. And so they would take the Old Testament and whatever law there was, they're like, we got to follow it. Exactly how it says is exactly what we have to do. But the problem was they would begin adding their own rules to God's law. And so they would make it a little more severe and just like legalism to the max, right? They would just um, entomb these people in, hey, do's and don'ts of following God. And with Pharisees, there was one in particular that they loved getting on Jesus about, which was one of the Ten Commandments, which was honor the Sabbath. So every seventh day, followers of God were to rest and to remind themselves of, hey, God is good and God is in control and just don't work, rest. And so the Pharisees would follow Jesus around. And two examples we have, one is Jesus and his disciples are walking past a grain field. And so the disciples, they're hungry. And so as they're walking by, they're snagging some heads of grain and they're kind of rubbing the, uh, the chaff off to, to eat it. And the Pharisees are on the side watching them going, no, 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 no. You can't do that. It's the Sabbath day. You have to rest. You can't work, even though they're just 
doing the equivalent of like, you know, eating sunflower seeds. <laughs> like, it's not much. But they're going, no, you're like preparing a meal. You can't do this. And another example, Jesus is in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And there's a, a guy in there who it says uh, that his hand was, uh, it just didn't have function of it. That it was a shriveled hand, the Bible says. And Jesus calls him to the center and says, stretch out your hand. And immediately it was restored. Jesus healed him. The Pharisees saw that. They continued to freak out. They're going, Jesus, you can't work or heal on the Sabbath. Like, this is not okay. Even though Jesus was trying to show them that people's needs were greater than just following the rules. And these people had no compassion for people because they were upset that he got healed. Like, just crazy. And Jesus was telling them, hey, you've missed the whole point. God cares about people. But they were so upset that, verse 11, we see how they responded to it. It says, they were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. In other words, they want to kill him. And that's what they planned to do. And they kept trying to trip him up. And they kept trying to make sure that he was not succeeding every step of the way. But Jesus kept it moving. He kept going. Why? Like I said, he was on a mission. He wanted to share the good news of what he was about to do with the entire world. And if he wanted to make a change, if he wanted to begin a movement to do that, to where he would not only impact the world in that time, but think about it, he impacted the world in such a way that 2,000 years later in Tiffin, Ohio, we're still talking about the same message and the same truth. And so if he wanted to, to make that much change, he decided to form a team that he had a bunch of followers, but he chose 12 of them that he was going to specifically use to share the gospel and to do his work. And so he had to decide, all right, who was on the team? And decision time for Jesus meant prayer time for Jesus, as it should be us as well. And it says that he spent all night on a mountain alone with God praying. He came back down and chose the 12 disciples. Now, in the Bible, we see uh, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, Philip, and Nathaniel. Those seven disciples, we, we see their calling and we know how they first kind of interacted with Jesus. The other five is Thomas, James, Simon, Judas, or Thaddeus, and then Judas, who... Luke refers to him as becoming a traitor. Those 12, uh, or, sorry, the last five, we don't know how they were called or what circumstances led up to them following Jesus, but they're on the team. They're a part of the 12. And so these 12 guys, Jesus is going to use. And in this moment, he chose them. And people from all over, Luke tells us, they came to hear Jesus. People from all different regions, they walked and traveled to hear him teach and to be healed by him. And, and they were so, like, they wanted to be healed so bad, there were probably thousands of people near Jesus. And it says that they were all trying to touch him. Because if they knew they could touch him, they would be healed. And so there's probably a lot of, you know, personal space kind of invaded in that moment. But Jesus took a step back. He went up the mountain a little bit. And he began to give a sermon. He began to preach. And this sermon that we're about to cover, we're not going to read all of it, but we'll read most of it. This sermon, he's going to describe two types of people. And it doesn't seem like he's describing Christians versus non-Christians. It seems like he's describing 
Christians who obey God and Christians who don't. And he's going to say, hey, you want to be among the people who follow Jesus and obey Jesus. And uh, the focus of the sermon seems to be that we should have a love for people, but not only people, we should have a love for our enemies. And so verse 20, we'll get right into it. It says, then looking up at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor, because the kingdom of God is yours. So this word blessed, or blessed are you, it just means like the happy, um, like how fortunate you are, how happy you are uh, when you obey God. And Jesus is going to give four blessed statements to describe people who are doing things right. Blessed are you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. Keep going. Blessed are you who are hungry now, because you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, because you will laugh. And so he's saying, hey, blessed are the poor, the hungry, and those who weep. Not like great circumstances to find yourself in, right? But he's not saying, hey, if you're a real Christian, you should be poor, broke, and sad all the time. <laughs> not what he's saying. But he's reminding us that we should be willing to give up anything to better follow Jesus. That we should not rely on things in this world because God is the one who is ultimately going to bring us joy and satisfaction because God recognizes that this is a broken world we live in. So much so that he goes on. He said, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Jesus is assuming if you follow Jesus, there will be people that hate you. There will be enemies. They will ostracize you. They will insult you. They will slam your character. You will have enemies. And I don't know about you, I don't like to read this, okay? I want to be liked. I do, by everybody. And spoiler alert, I want to be liked by you. I would love, like honestly, I would love to come up, give a sermon, and hear, oh, cool, Pastor Michael's preaching this morning. All right, great. And I would not love to hear, oh, why do we come? Zach's not preaching. Like, you know, this guy again. I, would, I want to be liked by you, by everyone in my life. But Jesus is saying, no, there'll be people that hate you, that oppose you. And how should we respond? Like, should we be, you know, bummed out? Should we be disappointed? People that hate us, we should rejoice. Not my first reaction. I don't know about you guys. But rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. People will, turn, people will turn against you. They will exclude you. They will reject you. They'll leave you out of group messages. They'll gossip about you behind your back. You may lose jobs because of your faith. Whatever it is, Jesus is saying, when that happens, rejoice. Leap for joy. And Why? Because as a Christian, we don't aim to please people, we aim to please Jesus. And if that's our goal, if people hate us because we are being obedient to Jesus, odds are we're doing something right to some degree. Now, he gives an example of, hey, look at the Old Testament. 
How did they treat the prophets, the people that spoke on behalf of God? The ones that told the truth and honored God, they treated terribly. They killed them. They severely, like, just, I mean, persecuted them to where, all right, we're tired of you. We're just going to kill you. Like, that's how people that honor God were treated. And Jesus says, as a Christian, it's, it's okay to be considered low in this world because we know what God thinks of us through Jesus. And so what about Christians? Like, the, he, he gave four examples. Blessed are the, you know, the poor, the hungry. Um, blessed when people hate you. That's doing things right. We should rely on God and not this world. But what about Christians who claim to follow Jesus, but they are not willing to give up anything to follow him? We have a, the next verse, verse 24. It says, but woe to you who are rich. So the first four examples were, hey, blessed are you. These next four are woe to you. And this word woe just means how terrible. Or, man, it, it's a pity that you are not honoring God. Like, it is foolish to disobey God. Another translation uh, from the great theology set of movies, Rocky, specifically Rocky Three. I pity the fool, okay? It's actually not a bad translation, I'm telling you. But I pity the fool, or woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort. Keep going. Woe to you who are full, or who are now full, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. So these woes, they address Christians who refuse to give up anything to follow Jesus. They choose present comforts over identifying with Jesus now. And what he's not doing, it just says, hey, woe to the rich. If you're full, if you're comfortable, Jesus is not saying, like, hey, it, it, if you're rich and you eat three meals a day and you're happy, shame on you. <laughs> he's not doing that. He's, he's reminding us of where our trust should be, that it should not be in the things of this world and the present just joys that we can have, but it's ultimately in him. And if we care more about having fun and comfort and approval now, then we're missing out on greater happiness later. And he says, hey, woe to you who, um, man, everyone speaks well of you. Now, to an extent, we should want people to view us in a good light. Like we want, uh, even as a Christian, we want to have a good reputation of loving people and serving people. And uh, those outside the church should have a high view of us. Great. But Jesus also seems to say that if you do things right, you're going to have some tension. There will be people that disagree with you, so much so that they will not speak well of you. Look at the false prophets, he said, that they told lies and they told everyone what they wanted to hear. And how did they treat them? Great. False prophets were treated wonderfully. They were, man, it's, we like this guy. He tells us good things. But that's not what we should aim to do. We want to focus on God and prioritize our next life over this one. And he says, we will have enemies. And we know that we should rejoice, but what should we practically do in response to our enemies? And Jesus says, love them. 
We have a few verses here that he goes on to show us how we can do that. But I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you. And from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, so here's the the golden rule, right? Do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who do good to you, or who are good to you, what credit is that? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do what is good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. And one last verse in this section. Be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Jesus says you want to be blessed. You want to be in that first group who honors God, not just claims to follow Jesus, but obeys him. It's not just about suffering and, okay, well, people hate me. What am I going to do? It's not just being passive. It's being active. If someone sends hate your way, if someone hates you, how do you repay them? With love. Not giving them the same treatment, but you show them love even when they hate you. And showing love just means showing care for someone no matter what they can do for you. Showing care for someone, no matter how they treat you. If it's good, bad, if they can you know, do you a favor later down the road, doesn't matter. You care for them. You show concern for them. And he says in three verses, if you love people that love you, great, you should do that. But even non-Christians do that. Even people who don't follow Jesus can love and be nice to people who are nice to them. That's easy. But as Christians, how do we love enemies? And he, we already read it, but we'll summarize some of the ways that Jesus said. The first thing was pray. Pray for our enemies. Do we pray, just, just a question for our own thought, do we pray for people that are difficult to love? Do we pray for them more than we talk about them? Or maybe even more than we think about them? When people make us frustrated, we tend to just think about them over and over and over. Do we pray for them? Jesus also said, turn the other cheek. And what he's not saying is he's not saying, all right, we're all pacifists now. There's no self-defense. That's not, he's not saying that. But this is more directed towards like, hey, if somebody disrespects you, put your pride down and do not retaliate. Like if somebody insults you, don't you know, insult them back. Like it doesn't have to begin a fight every time that somebody uh, is a jerk to you or somebody disrespects you. I don't know if you've ever been insulted um, to maybe this level of what Jesus is talking about. But for me, I think about a time when I was in middle school. All right, this was seventh grade in gym class, first period of the day. So uh, we finish our class. We're all sitting there. We had changed. We're waiting for the bell to ring. And two of my classmates... Two guys, they were racing down the aisle way. 
because they were trying to see which one was faster, right? That's what boys are trying to do. They're trying, trying to be better than everybody else. And we were watching them, and I had this great idea of, okay, I'm just going to make a little stupid joke. I'm going to throw my Kroger bag full of, you know, used gym clothes into his way, one of the guys racing, just to throw him off a little bit. Ha ha, funny, you lost. He didn't think it was funny, okay? Uh, he loses that race, and I go and sit down. I was like, okay, that was a joke. It's over. It's fine. A minute or two goes by, and I'm sitting in the in a chair, like rows of kind of theater-style chairs, and one of his friends comes over in his defense. One of his friends comes over to me, gets right in my face, and starts yelling and cursing, just nonsense, like stuff that I can't repeat. And I'm like, what is going on here? What's happening? You know, I, it was just a joke. It's not that big of a deal. And then their friend slaps me across the face. And you could hear a pin drop in there. I mean, it was like quiet, quiet. And what's funny to me, I can't prove this, but I'm like 99% sure. Uh, I know for a fact we had a substitute teacher that day. And I'm 99% sure he saw it go down, but he's probably like, Eh, the bell's about to ring. <laughs> we'll just let this one ride. But I can't prove that. And, and so they, they slap me and then continue yelling and cursing and then, you know, go away like a minute later. And I don't always have the best response when people overreact. I started laughing. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that. But I'm just thinking, like, what is going Like, I was just trying to make a joke. I did not come to school that day thinking that I was going to get slapped, especially by a girl. Like, I just had no idea. And, uh, yeah, some of you were like, oh, now I get it. Okay. Yeah. It was actually his, uh, his girlfriend that came over in defense. And are you telling was Whatever. Um, but later on, after that, they wanted to fight me. He came up to me in my locker and was like, hey, we're going to fight. And me being the, you know, man I was, I did what any man would do. I tattled on him, and I told him. <laughs> and uh, so there was no fight. We didn't, I never even saw them for like a week. But uh, I, say, I tell you that story to say, like, I may not have handled it the best, but I didn't retaliate. And there'll be times and probably has been moments where you in this room, you've been disrespected way more than that, and you've wanted to give them a piece of your mind or fire back or whatever the case was. And Jesus is saying, it's not your job to do that. It's not your job to avenge or to, you know, stick up for yourself or defend your pride. Like, we're to turn the other cheek and not continue the hate that they've shown you. Another way, so he says, pray, turn the other cheek, and also give. He says, if anyone asks of you, give to them. If Not only if they ask, if someone steals from you, give them more. No problem. And I want to, like, we hear Jesus say this, and it can be maybe kind of confusing, because it's like, okay, am I supposed to give anything to anyone, like, all the time? And I don't think Jesus means that we should give no matter what. That if someone comes to you and says, hey, can I borrow a hundred dollars? Why do you want that hundred dollars? I'm going to go to the bar and buy around for everybody. Okay, maybe not the best yes that you could ever say. Probably don't give them that money. 
but we should still, our first instinct should be to be generous. That we want to have a love for people that is greater than our love for things. And this is probably one of the tougher ones for me because maybe you fall in the same boat of, have you ever been hesitant to loan somebody something because you know that either you won't get it back soon or it won't be in the same condition you lent it, right? Like probably in this room, you can think of somebody, yeah, they still have my drill and it's been like four months and I can't get it back, right? Like we're kind of hesitant, but Jesus is saying, no, give. Even if your enemy wants to borrow, like, give, lend. We should have a loose grip on this life because the next one is so much better. And we want to give and lend with no expectation of anything in return. So we want to give, pray, turn the other cheek. He, uh, he says in this verse, be merciful, be kind, be patient, be gracious with others, even if they don't deserve it. And we're not reading these verses, but I'll summarize it. Jesus actually goes on to say, we should also not be judgmental. Doesn't mean we can't judge. Like we can discern what's right from wrong and help people see that. But we want to make sure to look at ourselves before other people. That we can look and help point out and um, you know, sin in other people's lives. But we have to deal with our own sin before we start doing that. And it's so easy to criticize others, right? If you're like me, the things that I usually get most frustrated with in other people are the things that in my life I'm really good at. I don't know if, it, if that's you guys, but maybe it's like, um, okay, I'm really good with my words. Like I understand that God, man, we need to encourage people. He wants us to use those to build people up. I just can't understand why people are, um, you know, they, Christians, they need to not curse. They not, need to not gossip and not tear people down. The things that like we're really good at, we kind of require perfection from other people. Otherwise, we look down on them. Jesus is saying, hey, deal with your own sin. Realize that you are a sinner saved by grace, just like they either are or can be, and help them, help them grow. And why do all this? Like he's saying, give, be merciful, uh, you know, pray for them, show kindness to them. Why? We're to do that just as our Father is also merciful. We do all these things because that's what our God is like. We love our enemies, those who don't love us. We love our enemies because God loves his enemies. That he gives grace and life and blessing to billions of people here on this earth that may never even turn to him in faith. That they may live their whole life and just go, okay, yeah, my life's about me. I'm not going to recognize who God is. But God still loves them. And any of us in this room who are believers, who are Christians, God loves us. He has always loved us. And when did he love us? Romans 5 says that while we were enemies of God, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so if God can love us when we don't deserve it and when we have not perfectly loved him, we can love others just like God does when they don't treat us all that great either. And all these things, if we're going to actually love our enemies, like Jesus is saying, something needs to happen on the inside because it's not natural, right? We want to give people the same treatment they give us usually, but if we can be changed from the inside out, 
we're able to do this, and, but that has to happen first. So here's what Jesus says. He continues on in the sermon. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil, produces, an evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Your outs, our outside behavior usually reveals what's on the inside. That's what Jesus is saying here. What we do follows who we are, right? Like our conduct usually follows our character. And in this example of trees and bushes, the fruit follows the root. Like what the tree is, that's the fruit you're going to get. Who we are on the inside is usually what you're going to get on the outside. And what makes somebody good? Like he's saying out of a good heart. What makes someone good? You can only be good, your heart can only be good if you've been changed by God himself. Someone that has recognized that, okay, up to me and only me, I am not good. The Bible says that not, not only am I a sinner, but I am inherently evil and wicked. And I need forgiven. I need changed. I need a new heart. But thankfully, God has sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin, to where he has taken the wrath of God so that I don't have to. And if I put my faith in him, I can have forgiveness of sin and eternal life extended to me. That is when we have a new heart. That is when God begins to change us from the inside and then out. And so we got to recognize God's role in all this. And he's saying, okay, if your outward actions usually reveal your inside, if your outward actions are not loving people and loving your enemies, that's a good indication of what's inside. That if you don't naturally desire, I'm not saying it's easy, ever, it's usually never easy, but if we have no desire or no conviction to love people and love our enemies, Jesus is saying there's a good sign that you haven't really been changed on the inside. And he ends this sermon by giving us a choice. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep, laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed and immediately it collapsed and the destruction of that house was great. Just a little caveat here. This is the end of his sermon, all right? It's not cheery. Usually, uh, when we give a message up here, we try to, hey, even if it's tough news, we spin it, like, kind of hopeful at the end. Hey, Jesus. But here, he just, just leaves them there. Like, imagine if I ended the sermon that way. Like, hey, guys, we need to love our enemies. Otherwise, your life will collapse, and there will be great destruction. All right, let's pray. You know, it's, it's like, kind of jarring a little bit. But he leaves us here on purpose because he's trying to communicate a point that professing to be a Christian is one thing. But professing to be a Christian and actually doing what Jesus would want us to do, that's another thing. 
And here, he's saying you have a choice. You can either listen or not listen. And the point is you can either love your enemies or not love your enemies. But if you ignore that command to love those who are difficult to love, he says expect destruction. And I don't know what that looks like, but we know it's not the same blessing that God would give us if if we obeyed him. And so we should be willing and ready to sacrifice ourselves, what we have, and what we want for the welfare of other people, especially our enemies. And I think it would just help for a second to think about, okay, who are my enemies in my life? And I'm guessing, uh, I even had somebody come up after first hour and like, yeah, I was thinking about this person the whole time. Maybe some of you already know who that is. You have, you have someone in your mind, whether it's a coworker, it's a family member, it's just someone that's done wrong to you. I don't know who it is, but how are you loving them? And we might say, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm doing okay. Like, I'm not mean to them. I'm not doing the same things they're doing to me. But are you actively loving them? Are you praying for them? Are you speaking well about them to other people? Are you generous to them? Are you forgiving Like in your heart, have you forgiven them? Are you still holding their past faults against them? Are you letting go of your right for revenge and to get even or get back? Do you rejoice when you're mistreated by them? Like how are you loving them? And I'd be willing to bet some of you are thinking, okay, great, love my enemies. That just means no matter what someone does to me, I'm just supposed to put a smile on and I'm supposed to be, you know, even if they take advantage of me, doesn't matter what happens, I'm just supposed to leap for joy and everything's all right. Like, it's not what Jesus is saying. We will need wisdom and discernment on how to handle each person specifically and how to best love them. But here's what I do know. I know that if we actively and obediently follow Jesus, and we love people, even the ones that make it so difficult to love them back. If we do that well throughout our lives, there are chances that we'll be taken advantage of and people will steal from us and we won't get that money or, you know, just opportunities back, whatever it is. But even if that stuff happens, when our life is over here and and we are in God's presence, you know what he's not going to say? Man, you got duped. Like, that guy took you for a ride. You know, you got suckered into losing all his money because you were too generous, and you sh- I told you you shouldn't have forgiven that person and let him drive your car. Like, whatever it is, God's not going to say that. He's going to say, well done. That's exactly what you were supposed to do. All your resources, all your time, it was meant to be used to help other people and even to love your enemies. And then what he's going to do is make everything right for eternity, forever and ever and ever, to where we can live with him in his presence, and nothing like what we experience here on earth will happen to us again. We can love our enemies. We can face the rejection of the world because we have God's acceptance. If we start there, Jesus says that That's how we follow them. And so we can leave here this morning that some of us maybe we're going into work today or tomorrow. Uh, We're going back to school. Maybe some of us are just going home and we have enemies there. 
that we need to figure things out with. Look for opportunities to do good, to love people, and also take inventory. Like who in your life would you consider an enemy or who in your life is just difficult to love? Jesus had enemies, those people that did not make it easy to treat them well. Who are they in your life and how can you do a better job of loving them? Are you praying for them? Are you giving? Are you generous? Are you speaking well of them? Are you serving them? Do you have joy towards them? Because no matter what, it's not about how people treat us or how bad people treat us. It's about how well we can love them. Let me pray for us this morning that that we're able to do that. God, we, we are thankful most of all for Jesus, that if it wasn't for his life, death, and resurrection, we would have no hope. We would have no eternity to look forward to. Um, and I thank you for everyone in this room that's made that commitment, that's placed their faith in him and him alone, knowing that you loved us while we were still sinners and enemies of you. And God, I pray that we would take your example, and as we follow Jesus, that we would also love our enemies, love people that do not make it easy on us. Love people that are, if we're just being honest, they're just mean and they're um, offensive and they insult and whatever it is, God. Maybe they don't even know they're doing it, but God, enemies that are just making it tough for us to love them. I pray that as we are following you, um, we'd be able to do that. God, that we'd be led by your Holy Spirit and you would give us strength to have joy in the face of people hating us or not speaking well. But God, that one of the greatest ways that we can bring people to know you is by showing them something that only comes from you. And, uh, and I pray that we would be a witness to you and your love as we go through our weeks, our jobs, at school, at home, with our friends and family. Um, help us to love you by loving our enemies. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for being here this morning. Next week, we'll continue the series, same time, same place. Have a great week.